breathing. It's so simple that unless we're struggling through an asthma attack or we're drowning, it never even crosses our mind. But what if we're doing it wrong? Seriously, what if developing some simple changes to the way in which we breathe could improve our health, our energy level, and our outcomes across various aspects of life? Welcome to the latest episode of the Catalyst Health, Wellness, and Performance Coaching Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Brad Cooper, the co-founder of the Catalyst Coaching Institute. And today's guest is James Nestor, journalist and best-selling author of the book that surprised even him. It's titled Breathe, The New Science of a Lost Art. We'll discuss his intriguing journey to examine the history of how the human species has lost the ability to breathe properly and why we're suffering from a laundry list of maladies, things like snoring, sleep apnea, asthma, autoimmune diseases, allergies because of it. And of course, we'll talk about what this means for our lives based on the evidence, not simply a bunch of headlines. You hear us often mention the difference between credible nationally board certified coaching and the person who simply calls themselves a coach pretty frequently here on the podcast. If you're an employer looking to bring the real thing to your employee team members, or you're an individual looking for more information or a community to help you move forward in your career in that area, we're here. Reach out to us anytime. Emails results at catalystcoachinginstitute.com. We're happy to connect. Now, it's time to take a deep breath and dig into what the evidence tells us about optimal breathing with James Nestor on the latest episode of the Catalyst Health, Wellness, and Performance Coaching Podcast. Well, James Nestor, fun to have you here. We've been working on this a long time. Really excited about your book. Welcome to the show. Thanks a lot for having me. Breathe. I mean, of of all the concepts, it seems so basic, so simple, but it's not. We'll we'll dig into a lot more of that than any of us realize. But what started you down this path? Why, Why did you start researching this essentially seemingly basic concept and then discovered so much more. Yeah. You know, when you start writing magazine articles, when you start getting interested in writing books, the last thing you think you're going to be doing is spending five years (laughs) about our breath. Yes. Right. Uh, It does seem so seemingly mundane and simple. It's something we all do all the time, 20 to 25,000 times a day. What could there be? behind our breath. Uh, And it turns out a whole lot. Uh, I was as apprehensive as anyone else um, towards this subject. And my agent and my publisher said, this is a terrible idea for a book. Uh, There's nothing here. And so I first had to convince them, which which took years, actually showing them the science. But once you start peering into it, you start to understand that our breathing is where we get most of our energy, more than from food or drink. Mm. And that so many of us are breathing so inadequately. We're breathing well enough to keep ourselves alive, right? But compensation is different from true health. And so that's where the subject got very interesting for me. And the path took you down some some interesting spots. Were there a couple of early stages where you said, oh my word, this is far more than I ever imagined. Yeah. So in nonfiction book writing, you submit a proposal uh, to a publisher and that proposal gets accepted. And then they give you a little modicum of money to go out and spend the next several years writing it, um, you know, enough to barely get by, but enough to be really (laughs) hungry so that you actually want to turn the thing in. So I wrote this proposal, 60-page proposal. I said, I have this stuff so figured out. This book is going to be easy. I know exactly who to talk to. I know what to talk to them. 
about. And I had to rip up all of that work, about six months worth of work. Once I started really getting deeply into the subject, many layers deep, the the real story for me was 10 layers deep, not two layers Mm. deep as it usually is. And so, uh, you know, there wasn't one thing in particular, it was everything. I, I kept turning up these different stories, which didn't make any sense to me. And then they they would check out, you know, and they were reported by top researchers in the field at top institutions. So that science was there. It's just nobody was talking about it. Well, and I want to keep our focus on that because I think a lot of folks in the health and wellness area tend to chase the fads, unfortunately. So I, I love the fact that you're saying, wait, we're bringing the science in here. Now, at the core of your findings, the difference between mouth and nose breathing. Let's start there. Why is the difference so important? How does it influence our health or energy and other important elements that you discovered? Well, if you look at any animal in the wild, 5,400 different mammals, they are obligate nasal breathers. Dogs will breathe through their mouth when they are thermoregulating, when they are offloading heat. So will some other animals. But for the rest of the time, they are going to be habitually breathing through their noses. Humans are the only mammals who habitually breathe through our mouths Hmm. and about 25 to 50% of the population does this. So you may be thinking, who cares? We can get air through our mouths or through our noses. Why does it matter? But until you start understanding our anatomy and how breathing works and how all of these ornate, fantastic structures in the nose condition air and treat it and filter it, you realize that breathing through the mouth is just causing so much damage to our bodies. This is not controversial stuff. Any rhinologist will tell you the same thing. This is freely available in so many biology books, but so few of us realize it. And I think that so many of us are really keeping ourselves in a state of ill health because of the pathway through which we breathe air. And you've got the listeners on the edge right now because they're going, wait, wait, what, what did he say? Seriously, is there a difference between, give us a little bit more. I mean, we'll dive a lot deeper on some of these things, but mouth breathing is causing poor health for me. Not only is it causing poor health, but it is changing the structure of your face. Okay. Uh, This is so common that researchers have a name for it. They call it adenoid face. When kids get inflamed adenoids, they start breathing through their mouth because they have trouble breathing through their noses. And so they hold this posture all day long, breathing through their mouths and their faces will grow longer because of this. And there is some proof that they will become uh, more, have more crooked teeth because of this. And so it's not too much of a leap of logic to think that the posture in which you're holding your face is going to be affecting how your face is going to look in the future. And, And this is, this is known stuff. So beyond the physical part of it, how that air comes in and out of our bodies 20,000, 25,000 times a day makes a difference, Um, whether you filter it, okay, whether you heat it, whether you pressurize it. Of course it does. So again, no one's going to argue with this who, who has studied this. And yet so few of us realize that this is having such a powerful effect on our ability to think and our ability to actually be healthy. I grew up in the age where braces were just automated. It was just, of course, you're eight years old, 12 years old, you're getting braces. I had them twice, so you know I'm, you feel sorry for me already. But is, is that a result of mouth breathing? Is it a, 
a cause, a catalyst of more mouth breathing? Is there any connection between the almost automated braces that we've been going through in the last, uh, what, 50 years and what you're seeing? Well, we can't do a randomized double blind trial of that. Uh, that would be pretty cool. Yeah, we, we definitely know we have braces. And, but but what you can do is to look at the research that is already there and to look at what happens with kids. If you look at a pair of twins or a pair of kids in the same family and one gets allergies early on, becomes a mouth breather, and they've done a bunch of these studies. And then you can look at the impact that that has on the mouth and the mouth's ability to grow. So there's been a lot of empirical studies. There have not been the scientific double blind studies there. But again, this is not controversial to dentists, to rhinologists, to other people who study this stuff. We know that the face will be growing differently and the mouth will be impacted by that. And I will say that I grew up in the age where it was never if you were going to get braces, but when, when, when are you going to get braces? I had extractions. I had braces. I had headgear. I had a retainer, all of that. And you think about how bizarre this is that we are the only animal that needs braces because we are the only animal with chronically crooked teeth. And you realize something very rotten is going on here. All right. So what's optimized? What, what is a healthy optimized breathing pattern? What, what does that look like? So uh, this is so simple and yet uh, people think that there's some magic key. I'm going to tell them, oh, this is <laughs> it's it's so deceptively simple that people think it's not going to do much for them until, again, you look at the science and you look at how our breath works. So optimized breathing is keeping your mouth shut. OK, it's breathing through your nose as often as you can. It's perfectly fine to breathe through your mouth on occasion when you're laughing, when you're sighing, maybe at some levels of really extreme endurance. It's fine to default to mouth breathing for a little bit. But throughout the night, your mouth should be closed throughout the rest of the day. Your mouth should be closed and you should be breathing through the nose. We get 20 percent more oxygen breathing through our noses than we do equivalent breaths through our mouth. If you think that's not going to make a big difference throughout the day, you're crazy. So we are able to get more oxygen with less effort, just breathing through the nose. There are so many other benefits, but it just starts with that, with how you're getting energy in and how you're exhaling toxins from the body. And the nasal passage is by far superior across the board in all of those functions. Can you give us a lay description of that? Because the logic in my head, and I've got a, <laughs> I've got a degree in biology, physical therapy, et cetera, but I'm just going, well, but the throat's so much, I, I, I'm not connecting the two of more oxygen through the nose than through the mouth, and I'm maybe not alone. So can you walk us through lay terms, how that all works? So a lot of us think more is always more, right? Um, so we think that more air into our bodies more often is going to equal more oxygen. Totally wrong. So it is so much more efficient to breathe a slower pressurized breath through your nose and exhale more slowly through your nose. This is going to allow your lungs more time to absorb more oxygen. It's also going to do something else. When you breathe through your nose and you breathe more slowly and lightly and deeply, that air goes down deeper into your lungs, okay? 
the lower lobes of your lungs are so much more efficient at mm. extracting oxygen. There's more blood down there. Blood is gravity dependent, right? And so when there's more blood in an area, that is where that area is going to be able to absorb more oxygen. So uh, you, from a physical standpoint, you are allowing air to come in deeper into your lungs, which allows them to inflate more. You are allowing your body to take fewer breaths to get more oxygen because when you're breathing like this, most of that breath that comes into your body is just exhaled without ever being used. Mm. When you take a slower, lighter breath, deeper, you will use about 35% more of that breath. So again, this makes an enormous difference throughout the day and night. So I could give you more. But well, and that makes so much sense. As you described that, uh, we're all going, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes perfect sense. Athletes. Let's run down this path for just a little bit. Um, it seems I, I've tried. I was actually listening to one of your previous interviews while I was out on a bike and I'm sitting there and it's hard. Like, is that something you can adapt to? Is that something that we've seen in these studies where in, and, and I'm not talking sprinting. I'm talking kind of your your triathlon, your running, your marathon pace, that kind of thing. Or is it only true for the super easy runs, hikes, that kind of thing? No, it's awful when you convert from mouth breathing for decades to becoming a nasal breather. It's a miserable. Yes, thing. it was. <laughs> so just like anything else, switching a habit's going to take a while. So this is where it gets a little complicated because I am not here to give blanket prescriptions to sure. anybody. Some people have such serious damage in their noses that surgery is really the way to go for them. What I've found is the vast majority of us can start to become obligate nasal breathers and your body will become conditioned to breathing through this channel. Sometimes it takes people a few weeks. Sometimes it takes people several months. For athletes who really need to get into zone four and even zone five, for cyclists, for runners, for other pro athletes, this can take a very long time. But what we do know is once people become nasal breathers, their recovery times significantly decrease, their performance really? increases across the board. Uh, look at the work of Patrick McEwen or Brian McKenzie. These are people who work with Olympians, the top tier elite athletes. And this is what happens. And, and again, it's, it's not too much of a leap of logic to think, oh, I'm getting air more efficiently. I'm using less energy and less wear and tear on my body to get more energy. What's going to happen? You're going to then have more energy to perform better, to go further, to perform stronger. And that's not going to allow your body to accumulate so much lactic acid. So VO2 max goes up on and on. And, and again, it's, it's simple stuff. You start to understand this. You're like, of course. And every time I'm outside, I see people jogging there. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's a terribly inefficient way of breathing. Wow. Uh, okay. So let's shift to sleep. You, you mentioned that's a key time. And obviously if we can master it, it's eight hours of, of gimme. And yet when I'm sleeping, it's all subconscious. So is there a tool? Is there a process? Do I need to tape my mouth closed? Like what, what do we do to help that time when we're not able to consciously say, okay, 
So you're right. You you can become aware of your breathing during the day because you're you're conscious about it. You say, "Oh, I'm mouth breathing right now." But at night, it's it's tough. You're unconscious. Your muscles relax. About sixty percent of us, above sixty percent, mouth breathe at night. And if you wake up with a dry mouth, if you wake up and have to drink water throughout the night, guess what? You're mouth breathing. And I've heard from Dennis that the number one cause of cavities, even more than sugar consumption, is breathing through the mouth. What? That's yes. And what's even crazier about this, there were dentists talking about this 110 years ago. There are studies from dentists saying this. How many of us followed this advice? About zero. So what happens when you're breathing through the mouth, you're spending eight hours breathing through the mouth. You're drying your mouth out. You're making your mouth more acidic. It becomes a breathing ground for bacteria. That bacteria deteriorates your teeth. So Dr. Mark Berhenna has been studying this for decades. And that is his firm belief. And he's noticed that when kids become obligate nasal breathers at night, his business goes way down. So he does not have (laughs) cavities to fill anymore. And this is someone who's been really deeply studying this for a while. So the trick is, how do you shut your mouth at night, right? And what I learned uh, from various researchers, including Mark and from Ann Kearney down at Stanford, she's a doctor of speech language pathology, is that to use a little piece of tape can be very helpful for, for a lot of people. This allows you just to train yourself to keep your mouth shut. This isn't about uh, hermetically sealing your lips shut, right? This is about just training yourself to keep your mouth shut. And this has had such an enormous impact on my sleep quality. And this is the one thing I've heard more from people than any anyone else. Thousands and thousands of letters from people saying, my sleep quality is now off the charts by doing the most simple thing by shutting my mouth at night. So my wife's going to start looking at me strange because I already used the nasal strips. So now she's going to see me here. Mm-hmm. This could get a little strange. Well, tell me about it. You know, my, <laughs> my wife has been ripping on me for all this stuff, all the little experiments I've been doing. But, you know, what you want to do is get to a point where you don't need to use these training wheels. Uh, the nasal strips, breathe right strips are great. Nasal dilators are great. Sleep tape is great. Do you want to do this forever? No. Um, What you want to do is to create a habit so your body automatically defaults to breathing this way. Unfortunately for me, I do not have the jaw structure to do this. So I've been using tape for more than a couple of years. Whenever I don't use the tape, Hmm. that's what happens. So other people, they just need that reminder and then they do it automatically. I'm not one of those people. Any, should people just Google sleep lip tape? I mean, is there any brand they should look for? We can help them out here. No, don't, don't go on YouTube because you're going to see a bunch of craziness with like using 13 pieces of, of tape to create <laughs> and all of this garbage. I did an interview with Dr. Mark Berhenna where we talk about different sleep taping Uh, that's for free on my website. You can check it out. It's also on, on Instagram. I've done it a few times, but this is the technology. Everybody brace yourself. Uh, You get a piece of micropore tape, which is a surgical tape, which is has a very easy and light adhesive on it. You use whatever brand you want. Who cares? 
you take a little piece about the size of a postage stamp, place it at the center of your lips. That's it. It's not too tough. It's going to be miserable. The first week you're going to wake up, it's going to be on your forehead. You're going to say, I can't do this. Give it time. And again, this is the one thing that I have heard more from readers than, than anybody else is how a little piece of tape has allowed them to celebrate in such benefits, not only in their sleep quality, but allowing their noses to help open up as well. Wow. Wow. All right. All right. We should cut this off now and I'll go get that tape. Um, So how has this happened? What, if this is so important, what's led to this pattern of mouth breathing across all of us? Well, a number of things have happened. It's been sort of a perfect storm of respiratory disasters. Um, And the first of which is our anatomy has changed. So over the past few hundred years, our mouths have grown smaller and our faces have grown longer and our sinus passages have plugged up. And a lot of people may be thinking, well, that doesn't make sense. That's not how evolution works. But if you understand how evolution actually works, it evolution means change over time. And so Life forms don't have to always change for the better. They can change for the worse. Look at the human species right now. How many people have diabetes? How many people have heart disease? How many people have asthma, rhinitis, sinusitis, on and on? Problems we did not have 100 years ago or 200 years ago. So this was a pretty chilling thing for me to learn about because that's not how I was taught uh, how evolution worked. I was taught it meant Darwinism, survival of the fittest. Right. All wrong. Get better. Yeah. All wrong. Um, And go outside and look. uh, 60% of the population is overweight. 40% is obese. None of these traits are allowing us to become stronger or better or live longer. Okay. It's evolution is changing us. Our environment is changing us. So our environment started changing us in profound ways a couple hundred years ago with the advent of industrialized foods. And our mouths shrank so much so that our teeth no longer fit. That's why they're crooked. So, And that's one of the main reasons why so many of us have chronic breathing problems. We have a smaller airway. And add to that tight-fitting clothes. Add to that sitting down all day in front of Zoom or a typewriter or a machine. Or even if I wanted to breathe a healthy breath here, it's really hard. I have to really think about that. And you've got a whole species that is completely divorced from breathing from our most basic biological function. And again, don't take my word for it. Go outside, (laughs) Um, look in the mirror, and then look at the science and look at your ancient ancestors. Look at their teeth. They were all perfect. Look at our teeth. They're all messed up. Interesting. Um, All right. So... Obviously, you got our attention beyond that. How do we get started? We, we talk about sleeping peace, especially when it's so subconscious. We go through the day. You and I, as we're talking about, I can be concentrated. I'm doing a better job of keeping my mouth shut and using my nose as you're talking. But it, it it's, it's right here. How do we do that on an ongoing basis? How do people get started with this? How do we create that conscious competence in this area? Yeah, so as Westerners, when you download all of these little tricks, everyone wants to go out and incorporate them immediately and then kick their breaths ass and just like put it up to 11. Cause that's what we do. Right. Don't look at breathing in this, 
in this way. I think the most important thing, this is going to be very boring for your listeners, but it's true, is awareness. It starts with becoming aware of how you're breathing throughout the day and how you're breathing throughout the night. So if you notice you're one of those people wake up with a dry mouth, you're mouth breathing at night. And most of us are mouth breathing at night. If you notice when you're jogging, or even when you're walking around that you're breathing through your mouth and your mouth breathing during the day, notice your posture throughout the day. If you're even able to take a deep, hmm. fulfilling breath of air. And once you start noticing what a terrible breather you are, and there's a good chance you are, the vast majority of us are breathing inadequately. And I was, you know, I would say in the the top tier of poor breathers, when I started noticing how dysfunctionally I was breathing, that's when you can start to change things. So don't go out and try to do all this stuff at once. Become aware over a few days or a few weeks, okay? After that, start trying to breathe a little slower, a little less, a little deeper. So fewer breaths, but deeper breaths. Try breathing at a rate of about six to eight breaths per minute. You're going to feel what a difference that makes in your ability to think and in your circulation. And this is not a placebo effect. This is your body responding to getting energy in a more efficient way. After that, you can bump it up to your sleep tape. You can bump it up to figuring out how to nasal breathe in zone four, which is very challenging. You can start doing some very vigorous pranayamas and Wim Hof method or whatever you want to do. But you have to start with that foundation and go into this slowly, because if you've been breathing inadequately or improperly for decades, this is going to be very jarring to your body and you don't want it to be jarring. You want an easy transition. Now, outside of just forgetting uh, r- typical roadblocks. What, what are you hearing from people with the letters where they're saying, hey, you know what, I tried this and then I hit this roadblock. Any, any guidance there? Well, I think it's because so many of us are spending our entire days, work days, and, and a lot of our recreational hours in front of computers. And it's caused such poor breathing that there's a clinical name for it. It's called constant partial attention syndrome. And it's been studied for about 20 years by various researchers, including one close to my home in San Francisco, Dr. Margaret Chesney. And what this is, is when we sit down, when we see we've got 20 emails, everyone needs our attention. We need to get back to them. When we see that someone's calling us, we have a voicemail, we're late for a meeting, our breathing goes to hell. So we tend to hold our breath because that's what people do when we get scared. And then we tend to breathe too much. So we go from holding to to holding again. And this can cause long-term and lasting damage on our bodies. Very similar to the damage that sleep apnea can cause. Mm. And people who have sleep apnea know what a serious problem. Yeah. So what I've found is when I was talking to Dr. Chesney about this, what I found was helpful for me because my breathing was a disaster when I sat down in the morning to answer emails. I know because I was measuring it with various devices is I would set little timers on my phone. You don't need any fancy app to do this, okay? Set timers that every 15 minutes, a little bell goes off. And that bell is like, okay, how am I breathing right now? Okay, I'm breathing through my mouth. I'm hunched over. I'm going to correct my breathing right now. 
Then another 15 minutes will go by and that bell will go off again. So this is how I was able to help myself work. Different people have different ways they want to do this. There are breathing apps that can train you to do it. They all work. I found a simple timer works just as well. Once you notice that your breathing is improving, then you can improve it a little more. You can wear some of that tape during the day. This seems, ins- well, not during a Zoom meeting, right? <laughs> this seems insane, right? I'm going to tape my mouth up during during the day. No, that makes sense. Yeah. But nothing is more pathetic than breathing through your mouth all day, okay? Yeah. That's, that's destroying your body. So when you're answering emails for half an hour, 40 minutes, put a little piece of tape on your mouth in the day. It's going to make that transition to wearing sleep tape at night so much more easy. Uh, I, it's, again, simple, but so effective. What are some things people can look for? People want feedback. What's a feedback mechanism? Or are there a couple things that maybe they can look for? You mentioned it influences your sleep, your energy levels, those types of things. Are there a couple of things that you say, you know, watch for this? Because I think you're going to notice this is different after you've been doing this for 10 days or so. Absolutely. Look at your sleep data. Um, after you become, if you went from becoming a mouth breather to a nasal breather, if you have an aura ring or a whoop band or whatever wearable you want, I'm not endorsing sure. any of them. Look at the change to your sleep and the quality of your sleep. That can tell you a lot. If you are a snore or someone with sleep apnea, I'm not saying this is going to work for everyone with these conditions, but you can download an app. I like one called Snore Lab. They have a free version. Again, no one's paying me to say any of this stuff. Um, I like that app because you you place your phone by your bed and it records you throughout the night and it gives you a graphic readout on if you were snoring. And then you can listen to yourself snoring or suffering from sleep apnea, right? Um, You can watch if that improves and chances are it will because when you breathe through your nose, you create more pressure in your airway and you're breathing more slowly. It's pretty hard to snore. You can still do it when you're breathing through your nose slowly, right? But when you're breathing through your mouth, very quickly, it's much easier to snore in this way. I want to be very clear. This isn't going to fix everything for everyone, but it's free. Okay. And there are only benefits associated with it. I have heard from literally hundreds and hundreds of people that they are no longer snoring since they've taped their mouths. And um, this is actually being studied right now with a huge study at Stanford looking at sleep apnea and snoring and mouth breathing versus nasal breathing. So uh, there needs to be more science comes out with this stuff. But just anecdotally, empirical studies have, have shown that this can make a big difference for some people with these conditions. This is powerful stuff. And, and I'm, again, when, when I'm going through all your, your data, it, it seems so simple. And yet, I love this. Um, you mentioned the app. Any other apps that they should tap into? The Snore Lab, I love that. I wrote it down for a friend of mine. But other suggestions on that front there's there's dozens of apps and it's pretty funny that uh since the book has come out (laughs) dozens more have come out some of which have just lifted exactly what i've written but you know such is life in the in the digital world uh so and they all work you know but but what's interesting is people were able to improve their breathing 
before iPhones and before apps. And you can do it with very simple methods. Um, I don't want to tell someone what's the best way of improving their breathing. I want to show them how this is going to make an impact on their health. And then you can choose the pathway which works best for you. If you are curious about uh, sleep apnea and how nasal breathing might be affecting your sleep apnea, or even if you're curious, if you're holding your breath throughout the day, if you get migraines, if you have cold fingers, if Mm. you are exhausted throughout the day, these are signs that you could be breathing in a dysfunctional pattern. So I found a pulse oximeter wearing it throughout the day. They have these in a ring and they also have them in a wrist with a watch. This was so important to show me how dysfunctionally I was breathing throughout the day. People want to do that. Those are a couple hundred bucks. I found it's a very helpful tool to show me uh, throughout the night when I was in the Stanford experiment, how I was suffering from sleep apnea, how I was holding my breath for 10 or 20 seconds at a time and then (sighs) breathing too much. So those are good tools. But beyond that, you know, we have the best technology in the world. We're, we're born with it. It's called our, our brain and our lips and our lungs. And we can use this technology to improve our health. And it's it reminds me, you're saying this is so simple, but, but nature is simple yet subtle. Right. Uh, eating well is so simple, yep. <laughs> but yep. look at how complex we've made yep. it. Yeah. Eat these 12 different supplements and these right. 12 different vitamins and minerals and eat at this certain time of day, it doesn't need to be that complicated if you return to the way that animals, that humans were supposed to eat. Deviated septum. Um, I had that surgery done. It seems like I remember you mentioned you maybe had it too, or you're very familiar with many people who have positive, negative. Like, what, does that play a role in this at all? What's What's the status on that type of... It's different for, for everyone. You know, that's why it's hard to be... Uh, really generalizing here. Some people have shown huge improvements by correcting a deviated septum. Other people have shown absolutely zero improvements. And same thing with turbinectomies, same thing with other nasal surgeries. What so often happens, even with having adenoids or tonsils removed with these studies with kids, when people have these surgeries, they can show an immediate improvement But then slowly, their breathing becomes more and more dysfunctional because what happens is people who are given these surgeries aren't taught how to breathe properly. So these kids who have their tonsils or adenoids removed are able to breathe through their noses. But then after a year or two, they become obligate mouth breathers because they were never taught to shut their mouths at night or during Mm -hmm. the day or while they're exercising. The same thing happens with adults. I've heard from people who have had three or four nasal surgeries. They're like, nothing's working. I said, well, how are you breathing throughout the day? Well, I'm just breathing the way I've always breathed. So with that surgery has to come education. And it's, I've heard this from so many responsible ENTs. This is what Jayak or Nayak, the uh, chief of rhinology research at Stanford, top of the top level guy, is he's so frustrated that there is not education with these surgeries. People are brought in, they're drilled out. They're saying, okay, come back in a couple of years where I can drill you out again. You you know, it's the same thing with cavities and dentists. So 
I think that it should be required that anyone that's going to go through these surgeries, these major surgeries, have to come out with a pamphlet or at least some instruction is now that we've cleared your airway, this is how you need to train yourself to breathe. This is the pathway to success. It's not just the uh, drilling out the airway. It also comes with, with education. Talk us through this Stanford study a little bit. You've referenced it a few times. I've heard you talk about it a little bit. Walk us through that in terms of the listeners. So I got to be pretty good friends with Jayakar Nayak, and he was, I was so happy he actually returned my, my call. <laughs> uh, this guy is like the leader in the field of rhinology and is doing so much amazing research, looking at the difference between nasal breathing and mouth breathing and how effective certain surgeries or different procedures are. And what, what he has found is that a lot of people slated for surgery do not need surgery. Mm. They need to breathe better. They can use a neti pot. Sometimes they can use a low-dose steroid to clear up their problems. And he's also a big proponent, obviously, of, of nasal breathing. He's a rhinologist. And through these very long interviews I was doing with him early on in my research, he was like, you know, so many people don't realize all the problems associated with mouth breathing, how quickly they, they come on. I said, well, how quickly do they come on? Have there been scientific studies looking at how quickly mouth breathing will give you sinusitis or deplete your energy or create snoring? And he said, no, because he thought it would be unethical to do so. Because in order to do that, you would have to plug people up right. for a certain amount of time and just have them breathe through their mouths. And I said, well, what if I can do this and I volunteer to do it and find someone else? <laughs> and he was laughing. He's, he's like, you don't want to do this. I said, I don't. I, I prefer if we could find someone else, but I knew I wasn't going to find someone else. <laughs> and I had no plans of doing this. I did not want to, to do this study. I really mean that. But I was curious and I managed to convince him to, you know, give us a lot of time in his lab and to his researchers. And I thought this is a golden opportunity to do something no one else is going to do for, for good reason. So that, that study is the short version. 10 days was mouth breathing. I wish it could have been 100 people. We had to pay for the study. So it was me and one other person. That's as good as we could do. And then it was 10 days of nasal breathing. We collected every imaginable marker uh, from blood work to PFTs to everything. And we were recording data three times a day for 21 days. And the short answer to all of this was that mouth breathing was so much more damaging, so much more quickly than anyone would have ever believed. Just in that short period. Just within a day, my wow. blood pressure was through the roof. I was snoring. I had sleep apnea. Within a single day from not snoring at all to not having sleep apnea at all, same exact thing happened with the other subject. And what was interesting about this is we, ne we didn't prove anything with the subject with two people. We're not proving sure. anything. We were just buttressing exactly what the science has been telling us for decades and decades, exactly what Christian Guimano at Stanford has been saying for 40 years, but we were experiencing it personally, but do not do this at all. <laughs> it sucks. Um, so luckily you don't have to, I, I did it for you. Took care of it. Wow. 
All right. So the old saying, take a deep breath, relates to the role of breathing related to stressful periods. Are there specific benefits, techniques you'd suggest specifically for that? Or you know what, Brad? It It's the same thing. Well, it depends what you want to take that deep breath for. So if you want to quickly relax yourself, right? If you're on a flight, you want to go to sleep. If you're a little wired before going to bed, you can take some deep breaths and they can make a, a big difference. Something called a physiological sigh. Dr. Andrew Huberman at Stanford, he's a neuroscientist, has been studying this and how effective it is for very quickly resetting the nervous system. And what this is, is it's two breaths on top of one another with a long exhale. And it looks like this. For this, you can sigh out of your mouth, out of your nose, I don't care. But it's two breaths in through the nose. It resets the body and it's no coincidence why you see a lion or other animals or a dog go before they fall down to sleep. There's a whole subsect of neurons in our brain responsible for sighing. When we breathe this way, we trigger those neurons and that creates a cascading event of other reactions in the body to calm down. You can hear just doing that twice, how much more chill I am. Try this at home, everyone. So for people with panic and anxiety, deep breaths are not a good idea. Mm. So whenever you hear people say, oh, just yeah, yeah, yeah. and take a deep yeah. breath, totally wrong. These people should be breathing in a very controlled and slow way. But I don't want to confuse people. A big breath is different than a deep breath. So when I'm talking about it, if a deep breath is very slow and controlled, that's very nurturing. A big breath is a bad idea. These terms are a little confusing and sorry if that was a little confusing earlier on. So if someone is about to have a panic attack, the last thing they should be doing is <gasps> that's going to cause constriction in the throat and it's going to exacerbate and speed up that attack. Same thing with asthma. You want to calm them down, breathe through the nose, breathe very slowly, breathe very lightly. They can breathe a little deep. That's fine. But the key here is slowly and lightly, about five breaths, slowly and lightly with a long exhale, and then let them breathe normally again for about 30 seconds. Then do that same pattern. This is so much more effective than the old adage of just take a deep breath. Yeah. No. Um, and this has been proven time and time again, just training asthmatics and panic sufferers to breathe less and to get their CO2 up has been found to be the most effective intervention for these conditions. So this is something that is now being much more widely studied, but there are decades of, of clinical studies into this that have proved this. Wow. All right. I've got one more. I want to take a different path, but before we do any additional tips for folks, things I haven't teed up with the questions that you're going, Oh, Brad, there's, there's this one thing I got to say it. Any of that stuff that we haven't covered with the, with that aspect. Yeah. And this is where breathing gets even more confusing. So I've been talking about taking these light, slow, 
deep but not big breaths, okay? How effective that is for oxygenation, relaxing yourself. There are also big benefits to occasionally breathing way too much. And I know you're thinking this is the exact opposite of what I said. Occasionally breathing too much. So Wim Hof method, if you're familiar mm-hmm. with his sure. method, pranayama, sudarshan kriya, all of these methods have you overbreathe on purpose specifically to stress yourself out in a very controlled short amount of time. And they do this so you can compound your stress so that the rest of the day you'll be breathing through your nose in this very calm manner. This is where people get very confused. They say Wim Hof is saying overbreathe. You're saying underbreathe. There's a time and a place for everything. And once you master these foundations of healthy breathing, you can go on to have these altered states of consciousness breathing. You don't believe me? Try it out for yourself and celebrate in some of the benefits of this hermetic stress, okay, which is found to be very effective for autoimmune diseases Mm. and for chronic stress and for even PTSD. So, it depends what you want, and then you can use different breathing techniques to suit your needs. Very good. All right, so back to James Nestor. What's next on the horizon for best-selling author and journalist? What, what do you got going on here, buddy? You, we were saying before we hit the record button, you just got you, you figured out this career thing. Like, it's dialed in. What's next? What do you, what do you got coming on the horizon here? You know, it's great when people say that, and they don't realize that. <laughs> Ten years. Pull the curtain back. I'm like, what am I doing with my life? Uh, Journalism is such a precarious career. Okay, and people don't realize that you know, working on a book full time for five years, you're like, this is what am I? This is so stupid. You're not making any money. The book's gonna come out. It's gonna probably flop. What am I gonna do after that? So. You know, I was lucky enough to have a book about breathing that I've spent so many years on come out within a month of a respiratory pandemic, you know, pretty crazy coincidence there, but that's, that's what happened. And uh, I'm so thrilled that this has helped people out as much as it's helped me out. Um, It's, and, and as you can see, I'm endlessly fascinated with it, but I'm on to some other stuff. Uh, I'm trying to actually relax a little bit. It's a pretty insane year for so many reasons. But I have another book idea, and we're trying to spin all of this into a mini series, not just about oh, reading, nice. but looking about how the human body has changed in all of these ways in just the last few hundred years. That's why we're suffering from so many of these chronic modern maladies and how to get that back. So if I am able to work this out and, and in Tinseltown, you know, hot ideas just fail all the time. And sure. I'm very cognizant of that. But this is what I'll be doing for the next year is able to travel around, relive some of these experiences and to tell a broader story of what's happened to us and how to fix it. Very cool. And how people keep up with you. They, obviously they're going, well, wait, how do we follow this guy? Where do they find you? Uh, my website has all of the scientific references for the book. My publisher allowed me to do this because I knew people weren't going to believe this stuff. So you can check it out for free at mrjamesnester.com. The entire bibliography is there, including interviews with experts in the field from Harvard and Stanford and more. 
I'm trying to do this social media thing. I'm pretty bad at it. I hired it. someone to, to do this because I, I'm old and I can't stand it. But at Mr. James Nestor on Instagram, trying to get away from Facebook a bit. And just on Instagram, I'm trying to focus on just the science of this. So since the book has come out, so much new science has come out about breathing, which is so exciting. And that's how I'm trying to keep people updated. Again, all of that is for free. And I have interviews with experts in the field on occasion. Perfect. The phrase just breathe will never be the same for you, will it? We had been working on this interview, which is now a hidden gem for a long time. I hope you enjoy it as, as much as I did. Thanks for tuning into the number one podcast for health and wellness coaching. And thank you. Thank you for all the encouraging notes along the way. We love hearing from our listeners. Feel free. Drop us a note anytime. Results at CatalystCoachingInstitute.com. Or you can pop over to the website. A lot of resources there. CatalystCoachingInstitute.com. Next week's episode is absolutely perfect timing on the heels of today's interview. We'll be speaking with Professor Jay Maddock whose career has focused on the interconnection between our time and nature and our well-being. We've had several guests touch briefly on this concept, kind of in passing, and next week we get to speak to the expert. Now it's time to be a catalyst. This is Dr. Brad Cooper of the Catalyst Coaching Institute. Make it a great rest of your week, and I'll speak with you soon on the next episode of the Catalyst Health, Wellness, and Performance Coaching Podcast, or maybe over at the YouTube Coaching Channel.